Law Focus Podcast, bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. It's 7 p.m. on a Tuesday evening and welcome to Law Focus with a staunch focus on the law. My name is Basil Sharenda and I'm about to have a legal discussion with you. I mean, many of us have been victims of violent crime and Crime State South Africa has released a report stating high levels of violent crimes like murder, rape, robbery with intention to cause grievous bodily harm. Law Focus this week brings light to crime statistics, sentencing and capital punishment with what is commonly called the death penalty. We want to know if the reinstatement of Begit Trele as Minister of Police affects how crime statistics continue to increase or decrease. Are the crime rates decreasing or are South Africans simply not reporting to the police? Are crime rates on the rise? Is it because of socioeconomic factors like, like such as employment and poverty? Or is it simply the lack of robust policing and lenient justice system? Too many questions, South Africans. And I think one can go for the either or. But can you honestly say that? Are crime stats increasing because of the restorative justice system that South Africa has adopted? Should South Africa go for a punitive model of capital punishment? I'm probably asking the wrong questions, and I'm probably answering the wrong ones. Crime statistics are high, and that is a correct fact. Stay tuned as we unpack the connection between sentencing and crime rates. Now, the following is a clip of many of the horrors the South Africans are recording on their cell phones and other mobile devices. It is a cash in transit heist that took place, took place in Renbeck on the 7th of March. We caution, we caution sensitive viewers, listener discretion is advised. You just listened to a horrendous cash and transit heist that took place in Renbeck on the 7th of March. Stay tuned for the upcoming discussion. Before we get into that, we start the show with the hottest legal stories of the week. Here are the legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. For our Legal Hotspots um, this week, we have three stories. The first story that we're looking at is the interdict that which is sought to be filed by Prophet Bushiri against the the protesters who are saying uh, fake prophets must fall. We're also looking at the Bromo Spread farmers who are in court over beating of a nine-year-old black girl. Uh, we are also looking at what Richard Spore attorneys are trying to do in filing of a class action in in regard to the listeriosis cases. Now, uh, for our for our first story, uh, I think that it's very important to note that uh, Prophet, uh, Prophet Shepherd Bushiri of Enlightened Christian Gathering has been practicing in South Africa as, as a prophet and therefore as a result has been performing, well according to him, has been performing miracles and has been healing people. Uh, now the essence of it is that most people have come out in uproar uh, and, and organized the protest against fake prophets. And now what Prophet Bushiri is trying to do with his lawyers right now, they filed papers this Friday against the protest the themed march against fake prophets which is which is now the paper uh, the 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 the, the uh, agent hearing is actually filed for wednesday uh, the Mal- malawian born prophet is also demanding an apology from the organizers now these papers have been filed or rather the summons have been filed in filed in the north houghton high court in pretoria 
and the march is going to to go all the way to the South African Human Rights Commission in Parktown, Johannesburg. So he filed these papers to, well, as, as, as a form of jurisdiction because they are starting in Pretoria and they are moving in all the way to the North Haiting High Court, I mean to the Human Rights Commission. Uh, Bushiri asked the court to stop the march, arguing that the process pamphlets were libelous. Now, that is an interdict that they must be interdicted or restrained from protesting in a manner that which is 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 is, is an attack on his person that is in section in terms of section 12 of the constitution. In his founding affidavit, he argued that uh, Bushiri must fall, hashtag Bushiri must fall, that appears in one of the pamphlets written alongside no manipulation, suggested that he was deceiving and manipulating his congregants, and he's arguing against that. He says that he preaches to 100,000 congregants in Pretoria West every th- every Sunday. Um, and then now here's what he has to say. This campaign, now I'm quoting from the affidavit, this campaign compromises gratuitous and patently false statements intended to malign my reputation. Whatever reason the respondents might have, this campaign has gone too far. He said the match was meant to solely defame him. So... Sounds like now he's going in the direction of, of defamation. And so a defamation is actually a, a recognized right under, under an interdict. So that would, be mean, that would mean that they are interdicted and restrained from defaming, defaming him or from, um, from, from violating a, 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 a right that he, which has been identified, which is, which is the right to uh, freedom of expression and the right to his personhood. Now, Antonio, who is behind the Bushiri Must Fall hashtag, said he's been using this since last year March to expose Bushiri for allegedly breaking down his marriage. Last year, Bushiri made a prophecy to my wife saying my mother is a witch that caused trauma to me and my kids and became a big issue, Antonio said. So Ashram said they, they were in the process of filing their responding papers ahead of tomorrow's court hearing. Now, the records attorneys, which are the attorneys of, uh, of Bushiri, said in a statement to Sowetan that Antonio has had an antagonistic attitude, which began ever since his wife was prophesied by our client first time she visited our client's church. Now, in expressing their views, the respondents cannot be allowed to violate our client's rights, which is the right to expression, as I told you, and the right to uh, freedom of the person, which is section 12. Our client does not wish to stifle debate of and public awareness around false prophets, nor does our client seek to use litigation as a weapon to terrorize or bully the respondents into submission. So it needs to be understood. This interdict is not to interdict the process, um, I mean, sorry, the protest altogether. But rather, this interdict is to, to interdict the manner in which they are protesting against him specifically. That is to stop the violation of his rights. How this litigation is, go, is going to pan off uh, will, be, will be a matter of, we will bring it, we'll bring you the update next week when we do legal hotspots. Now, uh, for our second story, uh, Bronga sprayed farmers um, are in court over beating of a nine. The two farmers... Um, uh, the two farmers, uh, Johannes Potchiter and Hendrik Dumas, uh, were um, um, allegedly handcuffed the girl to a tree, beat her, and shot at her in what has been called a racist incident. They face charges of kidnapping, attempted murder, assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, and the unlawful pointing of a fire. Um, it is it is understood that the the girl and the three other children had been running along with their dogs on 9 September 2017. The dogs chased the guinea fowl onto the farm and the children followed. 
So the children were then allegedly confronted by the farmers. Three of the children escaped while the girl was held against her will. Was held against her will. Initially, the two men were denied bail, but that decision was overturned in the North Houting High Court in October. And therefore, during their November court appearance, chaos broke out in the court when members of the public heard the duo had been freed. The girl's father testified his daughter was petrified of white people following the incident. Um, most people have argued that this is a racist incident, that it is racially motivated. And the magistrate's court itself stated that it's purely a criminal act and has nothing to do with racism. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's blindness at its best. Our third story. Uh, Richard Spoor attorneys and Malatlak attorneys from the United Kingdom have filed the lawsuit against Tiger Brands um, for the listeriosis outbreak. Uh, it comes in the form of a class action. The lawsuit is filed on behalf of the families of people who died after eating processed meat contaminated with this listeria bacteria produced and distributed by the company. This comes after the health minister on Mutsualidi's announcement that the source of the listeriosis outbreak is two brands of Paloni by Tiger Brands uh, of Enterprise Foods and Rainbow Chicken. The company has already recalled the processed meat products. Richard Spohr says that last action lawsuit is aimed at bringing justice to the victims. We have looked very closely at the work that was done by the National Institute of Communicable Disease. It's research that they've done over many months and together we have absolutely convinced uh, and satisfied that we have a very strong case against Tiger Brands. Now, this kind of class action is in the form of... uh, uh, of 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 a new of a novel class action or of a novel a novel delict case, and and the form of it is to the ex, to the extent that once it has been identified that there there must have been a steps that could have been taken by Tiger Brands to ensure that uh, uh, the products that they had did not have listeriosis or to ensure that they have listeriosis. And if it, it is to be found out that those steps should have been taken and they were not taken, uh, on behalf of their negligence, they can be sued and uh, delict. And that is the class action that which is sought to be brought by by um, by Richard Spora Tunis and Malatlak Tunis. And those are the three stories of the week. Uh, speak to us on Twitter at VowFM and uh, with the hashtag LawFocus. Those are our legal hotspots for the week. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Welcome back to Law Focus, and you're still sitting here with Basil Shirenda, and we are still having our legal discussion. Remember that this week uh, we are discussing crime stats or the rise of crime in connection with its sentencing. And the, new, the reinstatement of the Minister of Police, Begit Kaele, is actually a case on point when it comes to this matter, or is rather a burning issue. Now, the minister had an interview with the SABC News, and this is what he had to say. These people, they came with the suspected stolen cars or hijacked cars. So, which means their crime does not start, does not start on this crime scene. It has been a crime scene long before today, long before that incident. After that, they committed another crime scene because they hijacked another car, not caring who is in that car, could be parents, kids, and everybody, and it could cause those people again in that innocent car being shot. So I, I think this does allow us together, without undermining the human rights culture, to say, please be tough on this. 
there are quite several cash heists that have been going on around the country. I think for the last two, three weeks, we have about six in Newcastle, in KZN, in other areas. There are two ways of dealing with it. Um, I, I, I congratulate the, the unit of technical response unit, uh, team that was invited there to come and deal with the situation. There are two. It's to strengthen, it's to strengthen our specialized forces, but also strengthen our intelligence, a special crime intelligence, so that we are in position to prevent these things rather than to, rather than to react. But also invite communities to be part of us, give this information before time. Is, 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 it could be not very true that nobody have heard, nobody have seen, nobody have suspected that there will be this, uh, this kind of thing. Maybe having said that we'll be, uh, we'll be open in terms of our numbers uh, uh, of, of the officers, people will be able to take the phone and phone the, the number that you think is close to respond to the to the particular thing. This should come to an end and come to an end quick and then for us to make sure that come, let's work smart, but where we're supposed to be, to be tough, let us be tough. And that was Begit Kaila tying us nicely into our topic for this evening. Um, as I said to you, we are looking at the nexus connection between crime statistics and the justice system as we currently have it. The Minister of Police, as he is currently reinstated, as you would remember, comes from a very interesting history. He was um, the Minister of Police. In 2011, former public protector Tulima Donsela found that Tele had been guilty of improper conduct and maladministration. Um, when he authorized 500 million rands lease for the new SAPS headquarters in Pretoria, a deal that benefited businessman Ru Shabangu. So the former pres- president, Jacob Zuma, fired Kaila after a board of inquiry mandated to establish whether they, they had acted corruptly, dishonestly, and with unclear uh, conflict of interest. But now he has been reappointed as the minister, uh, as the minister of police by Cyril Ramaphosa currently after the reshuffle. And as you have heard, he has come up with a couple of strategies on how to respond to crime or to high rates of crime. He spoke about a lot of heists that have been happening, happening so there have been heists with violent crime. And these heists have included murder and obviously the, the robbery itself because the heist, the heist is committed on, on cash in transit. And also on, 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 on house robberies. But what is important in his response is that he says that there's a need to be tough. There's a need to be tough in response from the police. But that also shows you the importance of looking into capital punishment. Um, because he, t- he takes over from Figilem Balule, who had uh, Twin Satsuzi as, as his model. Before he was fired, um, Tele was most famous for his shoot-to-kill statement. And since his reinstatement, he has said that human rights are for people and not for animals. Because if you take a gun and plan to go and shoot a police officer who is off duty, then you're not a human being. Uh, this statement has uh, has been met with uproar and disregard uh, for human rights of criminals. While I may agree with him that how heinous it is for criminals to shoot police officers and, and, and kill them, 
I do not agree that criminals are not human beings. But hey, to shed light on this topic, we have Dr. Johan Berger from the Institute for Security Studies. Uh, good evening and welcome, Dr. Johan Berger. Yes, thank you. With regards to crime, what would you say is the state of security in South Africa? Well, we are in a in a very unfortunate situation at the moment because our crime has been, and especially our serious and violent crimes, have been on the increase over the last five years, year on year, since 2011-2012. And uh, particularly disturbing is the fact that our murder rate, which uh, decreased since 1994, every year until about 2010-2011, now started to increase again since 2011-2012. And in fact, over that period, until 2016-2017, it increased by 22.3%. Uh, the same goes for attempted murder, which increased by 23.6% over the same period. Aggravated robbery, which I think is currently our biggest problem, over the same period um, increased by almost 40%. Um, and, and, you know, then, then you look at some of the subcategories of aggravated robbery, such as carjacking, which increased by an alarming 77.5%. So so uh, even street robberies increased by very close to, to 40%. So, so this has been the trend, the upward trend over the last five years. And it doesn't look like um, things are going to change um, very, very quickly. Um, there's a lot of hope on the appointment of Becky Kelly as National Commissioner because during his time as, as a, sorry, as Minister, during his time as National Commissioner, he did have uh, a huge impact on, on crime and most crime levels, in fact, either decreased or stabilized during his two and a half uh, years in, in office. The impact, the very positive impact that Becky Kelly made as National Commissioner uh, of uh, the police uh, uh, and the, the, the positive impact that he made on crime levels. I think everybody now is hopeful that he would again be able to make this kind of, of impact. And of course, he's now minister and no longer national commissioner, so he'll have to work very, very closely with the police, with the national commissioner. But he has the kind of um, uh, pers- uh, personality and leadership qualities that we believe will help him uh, make this kind of, of uh, impact on our crime situation. We certainly need something like this. Interesting. I mean, are crime stats a true reflection of crime reporting? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the truth is that many people do not report uh, crimes, but this this relates to, to, um, to crimes such as assault, sexual offences, and you know, less senior uh, 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 serious crimes such as theft, and and even to some extent burglary, but the 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 um, experience shows that uh, crimes that have a high um, uh, rate of insurance uh, also have a, a relatively high rate of reporting because uh, people need to provide the insurance company with a police reference number. But of course, there there are some question marks about the police's crime stats, and this is also the case in many other countries in the world. But we believe murder, for example, is regarded internationally as one of the most reliable crime uh, statistics. 
um, because you work with a body. And uh, so, so this is, this is uh, probably the most uh, accurate of the police's crime states. But also we believe uh, aggravated robbery uh, in, in most instances uh, because there are serious crimes committed. It's very difficult for the police to hide those serious crimes and insurance companies are also involved in those crimes. So we believe that aggravated robbery also is, is fairly reliable in terms of the, the, the true situation. So other, uh, the same would go for cash and transit robberies, carjackings, uh, business robberies, and, and so forth. Um, although there are many other crimes, uh, some I mentioned, assault, sexual offenses, and so on, and, and less serious crimes such as theft, where clearly there, there are um, a lot of um, inaccuracies in terms of the police's crime stats. The police, I know, working very closely in the last year or two with Statistics South Africa in terms of uh, accrediting um, the, the police's uh, crime stats and making certain that uh, it, is, it is more accurate. But there will always be question marks about the accuracy of the police's crime stats. As a nation, are we heavily dependent on Begitele to solve this crime issue? Yeah, you see, a crime is, of course, a very, very complex phenomenon. Uh, some crimes are driven by factors that are completely outside of the control of the police. For example, we know that um, assaults and, and even murder and attempted murder are largely the, the uh, result of um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, and, and um, you know, uh, jealousy, uh, interpersonal uh, conflict. Um, and, and those happen, those kinds of crimes happen usually in, in areas where the police uh, are not normally present inside the home. Uh, you know, uh, or at places where the police would not normally be. So, so those crimes the police will always find uh, very, very difficult to make an impact on. They can only react to those crimes once it happens, properly investigate and try and uh, arrest the perpetrators and, and make certain that they are prosecuted and so forth. But we, we know that although murder and attempted murder, for example, um, results from some of these socioeconomic conditions that I've mentioned, unemployment, poverty, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know, uh, those kinds of uh, social conditions. We know that there's also a certain percentage of those crimes that happen as a result of the activities of organized crime syndicates. We know, for example, that uh, something like about 20 to 25 percent of 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 uh, murders can, in some way, be connected to aggravated robbery. In other words, where the victims are killed by the robbers, um, and 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 you know, so when aggravated robbery increases, there's a real chance that your murder rate will increase. Um, so so we have been arguing from the Institute for Security Studies Society and many others doing research that the police should do much better in terms of the crimes where they do have an impact, such as with aggravated robbery. So in other words, what we are saying, if the police are more effective in dealing with organized crime syndicates 
and bringing down crimes such as those related to aggravated robbery, they can make a meaningful impact on our murder rate. And and this is part of the problem. And Becky Kelly, for example, uh, almost in his first speech as Minister of Police, indicated that he is extremely concerned about the situation with the police in terms of their crime intelligence division, which is largely dysfunctional. And this is one area that he will expect the police um, under his direction to, to urgently deal with. So these are the kinds of things we expect from Becky Taylor as Minister of Police to, to um, direct the police into those areas that need urgent attention and to make certain it does get the right kind of attention. Do you believe that crime sentencing is more lenient on criminals? I'm asking this question because it is important for us to take note of these issues in a democratic South Africa. Yeah, this is, this is always going to be the case um, in, in, in countries that um, experience high levels of uh, especially violent crime. It creates fear, um, and, and uh, stats essay surveys have shown huge, huge increase uh, in, in, in people's perception about their safety. People feel increasingly unsafe. So, so that will always have, uh, have an impact and on, 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 on how people deal with, with crime. So on the one hand, you will get uh, people complaining about um, uh, sentences that are uh, uh, ineffective, in other words, too light, the sentences, it does not act as a deterrence to, to crime. So, and, and certainly in, in many cases, they, there's, there's a good reason for them to say so. So I'm certain that um, our, uh, the political leadership, working very, very closely with the uh, Department of Justice, the police, and, and so on, should uh, have a look again at uh, the sentences for some of these crimes. You know, some people are actually calling um, for uh, police killers to be uh, um, sentenced more severely than those who kill ordinary citizens. Now, whether that is a fair uh, request or not is a debatable issue, but it, it should be debated uh, openly so that we get some uh, clarity in this regard. But but certainly sentencing is a point of criticism uh, from from many in the in the in the public and in the private uh, sector. Then uh, the question of human rights, and I mean you know, uh, Becky clearly um, did say uh, very very recently. Uh, that uh, criminals uh, should not be afforded uh, the kind of rights that ordinary citizens uh, experience. Of course, um, one can understand that he, he did say this almost as, as uh, an ex- uh, emotional expression of how he feels about crime and criminals. But the truth is that basic human rights in this country is protected by our constitution. And there's nothing that anybody can say that can change that. It's just unfortunate that he did say something like this. One would expect that our minister uh, refrains from making statements like this, uh, questioning our, our constitution. This, this is something that is, is firmly established in our, in our uh, de- uh, democratic society and in our constitution. So, but this is just an expression of 
frustration, I think, that, 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 uh, that comes out uh, in the way that people feel about uh, criminals and uh, apparent freedom that they have to do whatever they are doing. But I think fixing the deficiencies within the police service could go a long way towards um, addressing our crime situation and dealing with the public's uh, fear of, of, of crime. Then, of course, the public themselves, unfortunately, you know, those that can afford it can go to private security companies. They can improve the security systems at home. I think the real problem is for those who are less fortunate financially and economically who have to rely on themselves to protect them. And in, in those instances, the best way of doing that is by, by forming um, neighborhood watches and, and, and working very, very closely with the police where they can, even where they do have neighborhood watches. That is the, the best way that people can uh, deal with the uh, crime in their areas and, of course, improving, improving their, their personal safety. And hopefully, with Becky Kelly there, in terms of his leadership, uh, we will see a positive change in the next two, three or four years. Uh, thank you very much. That was Dr. Johan Berger from the Institute for Security Studies giving his time for this evening. Thank you for your time. It is a pleasure. Thank you very much. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus. And as I've been saying, uh, we are talking about uh, increasing crime rates and we're talking about the connection thereof with the sentencing or the current punitive model that we have in South Africa of restorative justice. On the line, uh, we have the law researcher at the Center of Study of Violence and Reconciliation, Mr. Selby Tinwa. Uh, Mr. Selby, uh, welcome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we need to start with can you please give us a, a broad understanding of what is the current model that South Africa has right now? Okay, basically, South Africa, I mean, uh, it, its modeling is, is premised on the Constitution to say that uh, we've, we've done away with the penalty. Yes. And therefore, because we are a human rights country, and therefore we can't, we can't introduce the penalty. But what we, what we need to do is to begin to uh, uh, have a balance between, you know, uh, human crimes and, 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 and the, and the effective, uh, effective thereof in terms of in relation to its implementation. So I think that's the balance that we need to find as a country. Okay, but what is your, what is your stance currently on? Do you think that the current crime sentencing model we have is effective or it works? Uh, I think the, it's, it's not effective in this sense. In the sense that uh, there seems not to be uh, a partnership between the justice cluster in terms of communication and implementing of of of, of sentencing. Yeah. You know, police would be able to uh, uh, arrest criminals. Uh, uh, but the justice system, within, on, on the other hand, effects uh, uh, sentences, sentencing. I mean to say, but the point, the problem is that uh, there, there seems to be um, a gap between the arrest uh, on, in relation to the crime that has been committed, with regards to the effective, I mean, the effective uh, 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 implementation of sentences, sentencing in, in, in this case. So that's where the problem lies, you know. Okay, I mean, you're, touch, you're touching on very interesting issues there. Uh, you're talking about communication. That is, we need to, we need to have 
um, a circle of communication between first the police when they arrest and then secondly when it when it gets to the prosecutor's hand and, la- and latest when it gets to the court's hand before that person goes to prison i think that's what i'm understanding now for between between that wouldn't you say that maybe that the current challenge is the understanding of the criminal psychology or the psychology of the criminal I think it's, it's also it's also it's part of the anomaly within that we find within our constitution sense. For instance, um, you know when a person is incarcerated, for an example, there are certain benefits that he has. I mean, there are issues of parole, for an example, yeah. and you uh, find that the issue of restorative justice is not affected to the victim in this case or survivors of this of, of this crime. So there's, there's that disjuncture that gets to you know uh, get to be witnessed by or experienced by the society. So that's where we need to find we need to find the balance. So whenever uh, uh, you know, for instance. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, once a person is, has been taken for incarceration, there's no longer uh, a, a communication between the police, you know, who effected the arrest, yeah. and the, you know, the prosecution authority, as well as the correctional service, uh, you know, you know o- officials, in relation to how do we then begin to effect, you know, uh, a, a crime, I mean, a sentencing that is equivalent to the crime that has been committed. So that's where we need to be able to find to 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 to, to bridge the gap. I mean, yeah. So would you I mean, are you calling for a referendum or are you against the referendum on death penalty? No, I'm I am i am not calling for a referendum on death penalty. I'm a proponent of, of human rights. Okay. Uh, I want I want to ask you for, for a situation where for instance, uh, you know, a person who has committed a crime, that person must be must be incarcerated uh, in relation to the, the crime that he has committed or she has committed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I one is calling for a, for a death penalty. For me, death penalty is not going to solve the problem. Okay. Because as you know, death penalty was used yeah. to 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 effect, uh, you know, punitive measures against people. I mean, uh, those who are uh, against apartheid and, and so forth and so on. And therefore, that that was the yes to 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 ensure that you know uh, they deal with that. I mean, the 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 you know. Um, the struggling people, so that's where the problem lies. And I'm, I'm saying, definitely cannot be able to to solve problems because, as you would know, there are also people who have been sentenced to death in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we speak, I mean, if you had to go to some of the TRC documents, you realize that other people have been sentenced to death with no, you know, uh, 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 reasons that that can be, you know, uh, uh, pursued. So I'm saying, death penalty may 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 also result in many cases in, in, in the state, in some instances, the state being sued, mm. you know, for wrong uh, killing or, you know, or effecting that penalty. So that's, that's the first point. But the second one is that we are a constitutional democracy or a human rights-based uh, 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 country, and that takes its cues from the United Nations, you know. So therefore, we can't, you know, effect that penalty. For me, that penalty is a standard is barbaric. We can't be able to encourage it. But what we need to do is to effect... Um, what I would call sentencing that is that is that is that is that correlates with the crime that has been committed. So, for an example, let's make let's 
Let's take it practically. Yeah. So if, for instance, you say a person has, has, has raped, and a rape, a, a minimum sentence there of 15 years, it can't therefore be said that because a person has been so-called rehabilitated in prison, that person must not necessarily spend that, that 15 years. That's where I'm saying they get it lies. So okay. how do we know How do we know that the person is really rehabilitated? I'm saying a person who has been sentenced for 15 years, that person must be able to spend the 15 years because of the crime that 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 he has committed, if that's what the 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 the, the, the court has, or the minimum sentence or the maximum sentence calls for, that's what I'm I'm, I'm I'm advocating for. Okay, so you are talking about two things. There, you are talking about you're saying that the sentence should be should correlate uh, yeah. to the crime that which has been committed, and yeah. then you are going on to critique the rehabilitation. Um, model that we have. So I have two questions there, but let me let me first start on this one because this is the most juiciest one for our listeners as well. Now, mm-hmm. when we are speaking about the crime that is committed in correlation to the sentencing, does that mean that the sentencing model that that we should have under that regime should have a lot of certainty and it should have a formalistic approach? Can you repeat that again? I couldn't catch it quite correctly. So you are saying to us that. The, sen- the sentencing should correlate to the crime that has been committed, right? Yes. Now, and that would mean that um, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you've killed someone, I mean, sorry, if you've committed murder, that is the, the killing of a, of a person intentionally, uh, the, yes. the sentencing should should be the same across the board, right? Yes. That would mean that we don't take extenuating circumstances, we don't take attenuating circumstances. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, and so forth. Now, would that approach or would that model not be formalistic? Formalistic? Yeah. No, I think what we need, it's not necessarily formalistic, but what, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm, 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 I'm arguing here is that you would have a person who has committed murder, mm-hmm. and that person, and what, what are the prescript says? If the prescript says the person has, who has committed murder, that person must be able to be behind bars at least for 15 years. Okay. So you can't therefore say that because this person has started to, you know, rehab, uh, get rehabilitation in, 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 in the correctional centers, and, uh, that, and therefore this person must must be able to to at least to complete the two thirds of his of his sentences without necessarily beginning to speak to people who have been victims of this very same crime. And oh. these people beginning to agree that yes, this person can be reintegrated within the society. And what are the tools that we, we as, as, a, as a correctional service, are we using to measure that this person king okay. is not going to be is not going to receive again and then yeah. commit the same crime? That's, that's what I'm asking for. Yeah. Okay, can I can I can I jump in there? My apologies. Okay. Can I jump in? You sound like um, if I were to understand you, and I hope our listeners understand you the same way. You sound like you are worried about the certainty of evaluating a re- rehabilitated person. Is that fair? I'm, I'm concerned about the sentencing. Yeah. Uh, the sentencing that it's, it's some. It, I'm, I'm concerned about the sentencing that sometimes um, supersedes the needs of the community. Okay. The, need, the needs of the of the of, of, of the victims of, of that crime, but also the tools that we use to say this person has been has been. Re- what are the tools that they, or the instruments that we use yeah. to say this person has been, is rehabilitated and this person is not going to commit other hidden yeah. crimes because uh, in terms in terms in, in terms of the books within the correctional services, this person has lived a good life there and therefore he was then. Uh, 
got a parole after four years and so forth and so, so that's that's my concern so what okay. are the that we use to say this person has been eradicated what are the what are the committee needs have we began to speak to restorative justice and, and the, the third one is that for me sentences must be consistent yeah you know yeah. so when you when a person get to get 15 years let the person be rehabilitated rehabilitated within the within the system but that person my dad must also go to I mean, incongruent with, with the sentencing thereof. Mr. Salbitrino, actually, yes. you've actually hit the nail on the coffin. I agree with you on, on, on so many issues, and I think that um, these are the concern, concerns of many people. That, But how? Where is there? Because we need to draw a line of, of certainty. We need to be sure. You know, and I think that is the, that is what uh, th- that is the main challenge when it comes to okay. to sentencing. Yeah. And uh, I would have loved to have a further conversation with you, but but thank you very much. That was the research at the Center for Study of Violence and Reconciliation, Mr. Selby Trenwa. Mr. Selby, thank you very much. Thank you for being with us. Listening to Law Focus. Connect with VowFM eighty eight point one on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus on VowFM eighty eight point one. Point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus, and you're still sitting here with Basil Shirinda, and we are still having a good legal discussion around crime sentencing and the rise of crime. I think that it will be noted from our interview there with uh, Selbit Kheno that he highlighted the, the importance of a human rights uh, upholding in, in a current democratization of South Africa. It is also important to note that we have a constitution that which uh, provides for the right to life, uh, the right to freedom and security of the person, and also the right to dignity. And dignity as a value and freedom as a value. Uh, far more importantly is this theory of rehabilitation the importance that when you give someone when you give someone a chance to to learn from their mistakes and and so that they they, they don't become criminals anymore and i understand that i think that area is the one that has a lot of skepticism from our from our society but breaking it down from what the constitution says in section 10 it provides for the right to life and it leaves it there when you look at the case of S. V. S. Makwanyane, the Constitutional Court gave content to this right in a case where Makwanyane was supposed to be sent back to Botswana, where they still had capital, punish, capital punishment as a crime. Now, South Africa distanced itself from that position. It stated that in a country that upholds the right to life, the right to dignity, the right and to freedom and security of the person, it cannot it cannot it cannot extradite people to go to a place where capital punishment was still a mode of justice but it also went further to speak about dignity it stated the importance of 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 creating a society that is based on human dignity it it also made it made it clear that the right to life is non-derogable in south africa but now ifp has actually called for for a referendum on the death penalty that is to legislate as Mrs. makwanyane away but currently the LRC has sent the, has sent the matter to the High Court and, and the High Court declared or rather reiterated the decision that was made by SVC Makwanyan in 2002. But now, what is at the heart of this banning issue is actually how to deter crime. Now, in our conversation with Selby Trenwa, he argued that there needs to be a, 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 a communication. There needs to be communication between sectors of justice. Once we have, we, have, we have found this sector or this strategy of communication, then there wouldn't be a need for us to revert to death penalty. And in fact, with strong terms, he has stated that he doesn't want the death penalty. 
Now, the Inkara Freedom Party has called for the, for the referendum on the death penalty by stating that, in actual fact, because there are many deaths of young children that which are caused by what they refer to as criminals who, who without compassion, there is a need for us to actually have the death penalty in place as a deterrent. But now the real question is, is this death penalty actually a deterrent or is it a response from government um, to criminals in a far more harsh way? Because if you have a justice system that which seeks to punish by killing a criminal, what are you condoning in a democratic society? Now, Justice O'Regan in SVC Makwanyani stated that there's a need for, for dignity, not just of the person who is uh, being uh, who is being is being sent for death penalty, but for the person effecting the death penalty itself, because that is someone's parent, that is someone's family member, that is a member of society. And what kind of society are we building? That is the argument that which was posited by Dr. Justice O'Regan, Justice uh, the, the then Justice Moseneke, but recently the Deputy Chief Justice argued that in a state that which is trying to develop freedom, equality and dignity as a value and trying to uphold all the rights in the Bill of Rights, we shouldn't be promoting the death penalty. And hence, we are not going to allow for this country to extradite these two individuals to be sent back to Botswana. And those were, exact, were his exact words. Okay, Judge for yourself. You make the argument and I will add on to the argument that you make. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Welcome back to Law Focus, the show where we bring you legal arguments straight to your ear. Too much has been said and too much still needs to be done. Unfortunately, we have, end, we have reached the end of our show. Crime rates are high. Crime sentencing is, is neither here nor there. Uh, at best, uh, crime sentencing is, is, not, is not clear. And the courts have argued that it's context-specific. In fact, the Criminal Procedure Act provides that crime sentencing has to be context-specific in order for it to effect restorative justice, that is to rehabilitate the criminal themselves. Many South Africans are living in fear. Some have on have online to criti- some of went online to criticize the lenient crime sentencing by calling for the death penalty. In 2017, former Minister of Police Figile Mbalula delivered the crime statistics in Parliament, stating that Houting and KwaZulu Natal have been rocketed the highest number of murders, ranging over two million serious crimes. Carjacking at around 14% of those 2 million Syrian crimes. Sexual offenses around 4 to 5%. It's high. Clearly it's high. And there's a need for the justice system to actually have a reactive measure of some sort. Or rather change the justice system as we know it. We have highlighted the hurdles that which are provided by SVC's Makwanyani to presenting death penalty or capital punishment as a, as a, as a new justice format. Um, that it would be violating the right to dignity as known in the constitution. It would be violating section uh, section 12, which is freedom and security of the person. It will be violating the right to life in section 11. And because of that, South Africa cannot legislate as this Makwanyane away. Maybe, the con- maybe, maybe parliament can decide to legislate as this Makwanyane with a very strong cold face. But that in, in and of itself is not going to decrease crime rates because there are also other factors like poverty, socio-economic difficulties, and so forth. So how do we tackle all of these problems from all of these directions in order for us to decrease crime rates? 
And those are the real questions. But hey, from me, this is it. My view is death penalty in 2018 in a democratic South Africa cannot be the answer. Because we are just killing, we are just murdering the, the, the murderer. So we're just purely doing what they did. Mahatma Gandhi stated that an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. I mean, we have said enough. And I, th- I think it's time that you also have your share. Please tweet us at VowFM. That's all we have for this week on Law Focus. The show where we bring you legal uh, arguments straight to your ear. We hand you your rights. And on top of that, we give you solutions. Uh, please uh, find the podcast on journalism.co.za. Uh, and please join us next week. Do not forget. Uh, but I mean, from us, from all of us, um, my producer, Bulali Diakopu, our consultant producer, Kuto Tsekani, our executive producer, Lerato Makate, and from me, Bezo Shirenda, it's law and it's serious. Good evening. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM 88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Law Focus on VowFam 88.1 Point of Information Listen Listen to the Law Focus podcast on www.journalism.co.za